The conversation around climate change is getting harder to ignore. Deadly heat waves, wildfires destroying U.S. towns and Greek and Siberian forests, Greenland's melting ice sheets, Germany's devastating floods. The world is dangerously close to runaway global warming. It's no longer a question of natural versus human caused. The report warns the only way to stop and reverse warming is to cut greenhouse gas emissions to zero. While the task to decarbonize our economy and get off fossil fuels to lower emissions seems almost incomprehensibly complex, one of the most effective solutions is something we interact with every day, food waste. Every single day, dumpsters all across Copenhagen were full of perfect food that had been shipped in from across the planet. That's why I want to introduce you to food waste campaigner Matt Homewood. 10% of annual global greenhouse gas emissions come from food waste. Supermarkets could end this tomorrow if they wanted to. And so I'm calling on supermarkets to do the right thing and end this economic sham, start reducing those products, invest in the technologies available, and let's sell that food to consumers because that's what they're in, in business to do. In his work, Mac shares astonishing photos and videos of edible food waste found in the dumpster around Copenhagen. Matt recently presented at COP26 in Glasgow and is working tirelessly to change the systemic retail food waste problem. Well, Matt, uh, I saw your speech at COP, uh, super inspiring, but also infuriating. You had all these photos and videos uh, that you know just chronicled the tremendous amount of waste that we have all across the world. How did you even get into this work in the first place? I mean, to be honest, COP was kind of the culmination of a five-year process. Ironically, we're here in New York City. I started this whole journey in New York City in, in May 2017. That's when I started um, a cross-USA cycle trip with uh, famous environmentalist Rob Greenfield, and he invited 30 other people. So we start from New York City and cycled for three and a half months to San Francisco. And when you, you know, this has nothing to do with the topic, but what, what route do you take when you go across the country? Uh, like considering it's summer, as north as possible. So basically Canada. Oh, nice. uh, yeah, so yeah. it was good fun. And yeah, we just went along uh, through Pennsylvania up to Michigan and then just basically skirting the Canadian border. And then you arched south once you passed the, the Rocky Mountains down Washington and Oregon. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so did you dumpster dive for the first time in the United States? That was the first time you ever did that? Yeah. So so I was a poor student back then. And so we rolled out of New York City on yeah, late May. And uh, luckily I was cycling with Rob that first, first afternoon. I said, Rob, you know, I'm skin, poor. Uh, you know, you dumpster- So wait, skin means uh, poor? Skint, yeah, yeah, in, yeah, in English, like a lingo language. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm poor. Um, you know, you dumpster dive a lot, three months, I haven't got that much money, you know, dumpster diving, how easy is it? You know, you make it look easy. And he looked at me as if I was kind of speaking Arabic or something. And, and then he saw I was serious. So we pulled up to the nearest CVS in New Jersey and he said, let's go now. And so we just put our bikes uh, in the car park and jumped in and we got ga uh, pounds of almonds, gallons of orange juice from Florida. And then he said, yeah, it's that easy. And that was it for three months from CVS to Target to Walmart. Uh, we just lived off supermarket food waste whilst learning about what could look, what sustainable living could look like. And of course there are many, many different uh, lifestyles. Um, yeah, so that was that. And so, you know, what became just a, you know, a matter of convenience or necessity during that trip has now become central to who you are. Like, how would you characterize yourself? Like when people think of dumpster divers, I think there's probably a negative connotation, but defend the term. Like, what does it, what does it mean to you? You're exactly right. I mean, language matters, right? And uh, so that's why actually my profile, I call it an urban harvester because essentially I'm harvesting fantastic resource in an urban environment. 
and uh, cities all, all across the world are doing this. Um, but yeah, dumpster diving, you're essentially diving in a dumpster, especially here in the USA where the dumpsters are that big because there is that everything's much waste. Everything's bigger, yeah. yeah. Everything's bigger here, yeah. Uh, so yeah, everything. And um, so that's it. So I, I used dumpster diving. My friend Anna Sack, she used the, the trash walker. So we used many different words because you're right, it's kind of disparaging uh, term dumpster diving. There's a lot of baggage involved when in fact we need to talk about food waste and commercial waste as a society because it's it's crazy well give me the sense of the scale like how much are we throwing away and what kinds of stuff are are you finding in these dumpsters so yeah in the usa in the retail system alone so we're not going from the farm or the food manufacturers or the household just in the retail space we got 10 and a half million us tons a year uh 30 of that goes to landfill 20% gets donated. But we'll get we'll get stuck into the legislation, but you got a thing called the Bill Emerson Act essentially from 1996 which minimizes liability for both the retailer and the non-profit that collects those charitable donations. And that was 96, so 22 uh, 26 years now. And explain that cuz that's if correct me if I'm wrong, this is a good piece of legislation, right? It basically says you're you're limited in your liability for keeping food on the shelves longer, is that right? Not, not quite, but you're right in 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 saying that the USA, the USA, believe it or not, has some of the most fantastic legislation in the world for incentivizing charitable donations. Now, I don't live here, so I don't know all the specifics. Oh, but, meaning so if they give it away, they're they're minimizing their their legal yeah. Obligation. Basically, yeah. there's no liability. Yeah. Essentially, uh, it minimizes the liability for the retailer as well as the nonprofit. So basically, if people get sick, if all the guidelines were followed by, which it's not that hard, um, they can't sue. And so there's no excuse essentially. And there's a lot of financial tax breaks to, to, to get retailers to do the right thing. So I was in Trader Joe's yesterday asking if, if they discount foods as the use by date approaches to try and generate a sale, right? A business, yeah. you, you thought they'd try and drive sales. Uh, they said, no, sorry, two days before expiry date, the use by date, we donate everything. At least they're giving it to humans. Yeah. Uh, at least it's not landfill incineration, right? Right. But uh, many other stores uh, who aren't as progressive as Trader Joe's, perhaps, well, that's going to the landfill. So tell me a little bit about you, because like I think, I think when a lot of people hear this, they're like, "All right, this is this is important. This is valiant." But I can't see myself going into a store asking people some of these questions that you're asking, or never mind, you know, going behind the store and jumping in dumpsters. So, how do you psychologically like? Are you just one of those people who've always had a little bit less shame when it comes to other things, or is it is it something you have to psych yourself up to do? <sighs> well, I mean, let's take a few steps back. I grew up in London, very kind of middle class suburban upbringing. Uh, like a lot of British kids, I watched a lot of those nature shows presented by Sir David Attenborough. So, you know, he travels around the world looking at Komodo dragons or tigers. So you get inspired because there's not a lot of nature left in, in the UK. So, so then I wanted to try and make films about nature. So I went to Scotland to study uh, zoology, so the study of animals. So that was great. But then you discover kind of a lot of those species are maybe going extinct if we don't change our ways. So then I was like, wow. The world is complex. So I'd like to do a graduate program, a master's degree. So I went to Denmark to do a master's in climate change, two years. And then after six months of kind of very broad study from like physics to economics, um, I specialized on the food system. And now when you look in the food system, um, very quickly you come across this statistic that basically 40% of all food that's produced on this planet from the farm to the fork is wasted. 
Uh, now, of course, you know, there's been 1.2 degrees warming already with climate change. So when, when you realize the magnitude of the problems from an environmental perspective, because that's the angle I came from, I was like, my God, food waste represents a massive opportunity here. And on that front, what percentage of greenhouse gas emissions in, in the world annually can we safely say is attributed to that 40% of food waste? So the WWF just came out with a study this summer um, because they realized there was a lot of uncertainty with how much food waste is happening on the farm. So so they've, they've done the best they can and they've come out... Um, boosting that greenhouse gas emissions estimate from 8% to 10%. And I quote, they say this is a conservative estimate because of this such uncertainty. So Project Drawdown, which will probably be familiar with a few of your US viewers, they are the leading climate solutions organization in the world. Um, they're based out of San Francisco, New York, and they basically look around the world for solutions to solving climate change. Now, there's 1.2 degrees warming already since the Industrial Revolution. Um, in the 1.5 degree scenario they've envisioned, food waste reduction comes in at number three. But considering where we're at, you know, I'm conservative. Realistically, we're probably going to hit two degrees. And for the two degrees, food waste reduction comes in at number one. Above veganism, apparently, above taking airplanes, because I suppose many people can't afford to take airplanes across the planet. Uh, but it just goes to show the scale of the problem. Of course, it's not the only problem. We can do many things, but that's why I focus in on it so much because, you know, nuclear energy, fossil fuel transition, this is a massive um, energy infrastructure transition. Solving food waste, I mean, it's not rocket science. And when you think about, the, you know, you mentioned veganism, for example, uh, one particularly virulent culprit here is meat, dairy, eggs, uh, in part because, correct me if I'm wrong, just the inherent carbon footprint of like the amount of energy we have to consume to even you know get a calorie out of those types of foods, but also because they spoil faster. The spoiling faster, that I don't know of. Uh, I've never heard of that. Because like, for example, yogurt and cheese, they're fermented products. So really, actually, once we ferment a product, whether it be animal or vegetable, they can actually last quite long on the shelf. But meat, Perhaps I, I, I'm, I'm not a huge eater, meat eater myself, so I don't know all the specifics. But when you look at the environmental footprint, you're absolutely correct. Uh, meat and dairy use 83% of global farmland, but only generate 18% of uh, human calories uh, that we consume as a society. So eating meat and dairy on the scale that we do is incredibly inefficient. Now, do I believe the world will go vegan? No. But I do believe in a drastic reduction in the amount of meat and dairy that we do eat, as well as fish and uh, right. oceanic protein um, or animal, because I believe in algae, for example. Uh, but um, we need to eat more more plants. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll benefit as a society. Well, why is the system so inefficient? When you see 40% waste, that seems like an incredible amount of waste, especially given that the incentives in the system for any business are to keep inventory as low as possible and to to decrease waste as much as possible. Because like, you know, off the top of my head, you would think their incentive is to decrease that number too. Why is it so high? Yeah, the food system's complex. And the thing is, is that it does vary between nations. But the USA, for example, um, one thing that was interesting with that US cycle trip that we talked about a bit earlier was that, you know, when you roll by bicycle through uh, the Midwest, um, so your Wisconsin's, your North Dakotas, yeah, your Michigan's, what do you, what do you cycle past by? 
Well, thousands and thousands of miles of corn and soy, monoculture as far as the eye can see. Um, who's paying for that? The taxpayers. Well, the taxpayers. Yeah. And so essentially our food system right across the, across the Western industrial world is massively subsidized. So essentially we kind of lost the value of food because A, it's so cheap uh, and B, there's so much of it you know, when I walk around New York City, you can buy all these pizzas for like, or pizza slices for a dollar with all the meat included. <laughs> it's so cheap. Stay away from those places, by oh. the way, as a, as a lifeline New Yorker. <laughs> I'm glad. Okay, I'm falling for it. Yeah, I'll stay clear for the last two days. But yeah, the cost of food is so cheap and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it means that the cost of wasting that food is very, very low. And so businesses, as many dumpster divers know or, or will see on, on this video, you get a tremendous amount of waste in the supermarket as well as upstream. Uh, now, a lot of people want to always, you know, when they talk about me saying, oh, Matt, you, why do you focus so much on businesses? Why don't you know households waste the most? And actually, if you look at it from a very broad perspective, households do waste more food. But there's two reasons why I don't focus on that. Well, how many supermarkets are there in the USA? 40,000. How many citizens are there in this country? I looked it up, 330 million. So it's orders of magnitude difference. So of course, US citizens waste more food. If they were wasting less than 40,000 supermarkets, you know we've got an extra large problem. Uh, the other thing is that um, we citizens, when we threw the throw the food out the window, we're literally throwing our hard-earned wages out the window. So it's completely irrational. So what, this, and this is not just a US problem, right? I've no. seen videos from you all over the world. And I think you focus particularly on Western industrialized countries because I think we're particularly problematic in this. What can we do about this? And, and what are people doing about it? Are there any promising developments either in legislation or consumer practices or nonprofit organizations or companies helping to solve this problem? So in many ways, in this food system, uh, I learned a new word the other day. It's not monopoly, it's an oligopoly. Uh, that's a fancy Greek word I learned. Basically, it means that the food system is an hourglass system. Uh, so basically, you've got millions of farmers, you've got tens of thousands of food manufacturers making all those processed foods or, or processing the food at least. Uh, then you've got tens of thousands in the USA of supermarkets. And then you've got the 330 million citizens. What that means is that when you've got very few retailers, uh, that causes disproportionate amount of power. And so when they made trade negotiations with farmers, uh, because there's so few companies to sell to, farmers are kind of, they're stuck and they kind of sell at any price, which is why we see so many dairy farmers, for example, in Wisconsin struggling because, well, if they can't sell to Walmart or Target, well then, you know, the number of, of buyers drastically decreases. And that's why, for example, we have antitrust laws in all across the West, not just the USA, uh, to try and make it so that the, the power balance isn't too asymmetrical. So that's number one. So one is just better enforcement of antitrust. Because, you know, we have these laws, but we don't really enforce it. It takes a lot for us to enforce it. And we have this problem in this country where the evolution of our law used to be concentration of power. But over the past few decades, you can only bring an antitrust action if there's a price impact to consumers. And so part of the problem that we have is that because of the, the, the combination of subsidies and because of like the, the way that, you know, and the centralization of places like Amazon and, and, and other companies, 
means that they're actually decreasing prices as they're increasing their market share. So it's hard to bring an action against somebody who's decreasing prices in the way that the US law is written, sadly. Definitely. But what's interesting is when I'm walking around these supermarkets in New York City, I'm looking, you know, soups at $15. But yeah. then you're looking around the back and you've got, you know, 20 soups just dumped going to landfill. Well, clearly the price of that soup should, uh, soups would be cheaper. Right. You know, the supply and demand. I mean, I'm not an economist, but it doesn't, it's not rocket science again. Right. I mean, that price should be low, especially as the expiry date approaches. And so if we, for example, say, say you're a supermarket and um, the tipping fees is about $50 per ton of food waste. If that were bumped up to say $500 a ton, $5,000 a ton, well, in the cost benefit analysis as these financial folks use, um, the finances would shift because the cost of waste would increase. So therefore, we might see some discounting. We'd certainly see charitable donations increase right. because we wouldn't want to put these perfect foods in the dumpster. And so I actually do believe there's an antitrust law case because foods under this capitalist system, farmers are being extremely productive. And so actually foods, it seems, should be cheaper. If we're wasting 40% of food... Um, prices may be a little too high. And when I see the price in New York City, I'm inclined to believe yes. And the other thing you said, what can we do? Because of this oligopoly system, I believe actually, and many others do too, the supermarkets are the problem. And so in the USA, you're very lucky. You've got these uh, community-supported agricultural schemes where basically consumers can, can find their local farmers who've set up these, these CSAs and uh, you sign up for the season. And whatever that farmer is producing, you can also tell them what you'd like. Also, if you've got a any particular favorites, you know, that could be fruit, veg, and also meat and dairy if you, if you do enjoy those products. Um, I know you don't, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, so you, could, you can actually dodge the middleman. You can go straight to the farmer. You might, you know, I read a quote the other day, it's fascinating. People know their mechanic better than they do uh, the farmer. They don't, yeah, they don't know the farmer at all. No here. idea. Yeah. I think it goes to show, you know, it's a good indication of how screwed up our food system is. And part of it, you know, part of it is the the consumer and then, you know, trying to get it, like take the meatpacking industry, for example. Yeah. It's harder, it's probably easier to get into the Pentagon than to get into a lot of these meat manufacturers. And it's consolidated, like you talked about, more than anything else, probably. So, like, you could probably find that organic you know, pasture raised or whatever farm in upstate New York, but trying to, you know, go to middle America and find a place like that Tyson food processing plant, you'll get arrested before you'll get in there. Definitely. And that's a great point you raised because at the moment, you know, when you look at what the wages are for the working middle classes all across the rest, not just the USA, the price of food today is massive and it's only going up with inflation. And so, yes, unfortunately, some of those better solutions are not affordable to the masses. And that's why it's unacceptable. And that's why we have to talk about food waste. We have to talk about food system transition. Why are we subsidizing, you know, crap corn and soy? Why are we not subsidizing, you know, excellent fruit and vegetables that could be grown right across the South, California, they're doing that already. But, you know, if we increase the price, uh, the production of that, well, prices would go down. Yeah. And so we need to, you know, the USA, just like the UK where I'm from, has got, um, you know, health health epidemics. And so, yeah, you know, also food the, is medicine. Yeah, well, also at the same time that we're wasting so much food, people are going hungry, right? What's the scale of that problem? And why are these two problems not meeting each other right now? And the, yeah, that's why I emphasize I've come from this uh, angle, uh, this topic from an environmental perspective, because I realized actually when I've really started digging deep into the food waste issue, this is a much bigger social 
issue than it is environmental. Because uh, in America, during the coronavirus pandemic, one in four households were food insecure. Before that, it was about 38 million out of 330 million. So you're looking at about 11% of the US population who are food insecure. They don't know where their next meal is coming from, not to mention healthy meal at an affordable price. So clearly, the price of... of um, of healthy foods is not accessible to the masses. I mean, there's a reason why we've got the term food deserts yeah. in the USA, right? Let's bring it back to solutions. So yeah. give, me, give me one or two more solutions that you think can help us. Because what's the, what's the goal from the UN? To half food waste in some period of time? What is it? Definitely, yeah. They want to half food waste um, by 2030. So, you know, whether that's the right goal or not, let's just take that as an example. It's a start yeah, what, from where we're at. What gets us closer to that that's within, you know, that's within reason? Like you think is possible right now or even probable? So after three years dump surviving of living, uh, living like a pauper. Do you still do that? Is that where you Living like a pauper in England, we yeah. say... Um, <laughs> I do I do it. I do it not quite as much as I used to because it was literally a full-time job. I'd go out twice a day and document everything. You get arrested for that? Not in Denmark. It's yeah. legal. Uh, in the USA, um, in New York City, because they put all the, the trash bags on, on the on the sidewalk, if you go at the right time, no problem. You just slash the slash the bag and keep it clean for yeah. everyone because there's a lot of dumb cyphers out there. There's yeah, a we, have a, being we have a new district attorney here in Manhattan who won't, won't do anything about it, from what I could tell. He's a friend of ours. Oh, okay. But... Uh, you could go into the store and take it off the shelf, but uh, that's a whole other story. But the uh, but wait a minute. So one thing that you said at some point that I found interesting was some businesses, and you might have been referring to the U.S. I wasn't sure what context uh, actually uh, go out of their way to prevent homeless people from accessing their food waste. Like they create special lock containers. Sometimes they keep it indoors longer. They create special fridges. Uh, What's going on there? So they're like, they're actively spending resources to prevent people from accessing this food waste. So that's the UK, that's where I'm from. So of course I keep an interest in the, in the country I grew up in. And basically there you've got the big four. You've got Tesco's, Morrison's, Asda, and Sainsbury's. Um, and so what's happening there is that skipping was what dump diving was called back in uh, back in back in the day in British culture, and from you know the seventies right up until the the late nineties, people used to skip all the time in England. I, I was chatting to a, an English journalist, George Monbiot, and we had a meeting. I said, uh, George, you know, do you know about skipping? He said, Of course, I know about skipping. You know, in Oxford back in the day, me and my friends we'd we'd come back after Friday night with forty pizzas. That'd be food for the week. Uh, but what happened in 2000, more or less, was that um, retailers started locking up their dumpsters because, I mean, it's embarrassing when you see the scale of this problem. Because uh, when you say food waste, you know, people think of a few rotten apples. They don't expect all those perfect pizzas or perfectly edible fruit and vegetables, not to mention, not to mention the meat and dairy. So what happened? They started locking things up. Um, and the British government and industry started finding solutions. And what they, the solution they've come up with is anaerobic digestion, which basically produces biogas, eco-gas, whatever you want to call it. The important thing to understand is that when you produce biogas, you only recover 1% of the total energy that was used to produce the food and transport it in the first place. So when people say it's a solution, I'm not entirely convinced because 1%, I mean, what is that really? Right. Yes, it's better than landfill, but you know, we should be aiming for much better um, so that's the UK. So they've got the anaerobic digestion system up and running. The UK government today subsidizes uh, that industry with 900 million US dollars a year. 
That's so much money that anaerobic digesters are now paying retailers in the UK for their, for their waste. So it's incentivizing waste. In a huge way. And again, we see idiotic public policy uh, not solving a problem, actually uh, making it even worse. And so that's why now, if you're a homeless person or a student or a pensioner, in Denmark, there's many pensioners who dumpster dive, you can no longer access UK dumpsters, apart from the odd place here and there. Uh, they lock up the food waste in refrigerated containers because you don't. It can, if you leave it outside, it can really start getting moldy and stinky, you know, after yeah. days on end. And so they keep it inside. And once the anaerobic digestion company comes uh, to their door, well, there you go. They just pick up all their food waste and, and make the biogas. So that's the UK and the USA. Yes, you don't make biogas, but you send it to landfill. And uh, and that's why when I crossed the country, you know, Walmart, a couple of times, they called the cops on us because because private they, they privatize waste and they, they want to hide it, essentially. And so they want to make it very complicated for homeless people and people who are struggling to get that food. And so, okay, one more solution. Give us yeah. some hope. Like, where, yeah, no hope. where should we focus our energy and attention in some of these countries, like the United States, UK, where you are in Denmark? Yeah, UK, US. Look, Denmark's actually got quite a long way to go, I realized. But UK, US, you know, we've got good legislation. I think sometimes UK, US, we're, we're too in favor of volunteering, expecting industry will do the right thing. And actually evidence I'm not uh, shows that I'm not quite sure that's going to happen. So we need to accelerate the process a little bit when we realize climate change and the millions of people who are hungry because we've only focused on the US. You've got 690 million people across the planet who are severely food insecure. And so that obviously is much more intense. Um, and so so this is a global problem. It's not just the, the US. And so anyway, we have, of course, we have to devise national legislation. So I think it's for policymakers or at least state legislators in the US to come up with a cocktail of tax policies to make retailers do the right thing. I believe in the private sector uh, in, and in the government, so sell the food. Clearly, we need to bump up the cost of wasting that food to drive the sales, get the discounting practices happening like it happens all across Europe. I mean, it's like coming back to the Middle Ages here when I'm walking across these stores with no discounting practices. And then, of course, let's get this food to the charitable donations so that people can make the most of it. Well, okay. So as we round this out, what are you spending your time on right now? Like, how how are you getting from the point where you know, you're recovering waste, you know, one dumpster dive at a time to getting to more scale? No, so exactly. I'm aiming for scale now. So like, I've kind of got a small name for myself in the dumpster diving community. So many people reach out to me sending their photos so I can share that and tell a little bit of story. Whistleblowers from inside supermarkets tell me their stories and their struggle and the test at these practices. So, so I work now for a food tech company, a Throw No More. So I'm very clear I work for them because I, I've been in trouble with the Danish media this week for that, <laughs> even though I'm clear. Um, so yes, I earn a salary uh, because you know what we want to do with that app, for example, and there's many others out there. I'm not saying Throw No More solve it all. It's going to be many businesses trying to make this system more efficient. Um, but this, so say US supermarkets were finally about to start discounting. Well, they print that new barcode uh, they put it on the, the, the food products. So say a salad goes from 10 bucks down to six bucks, 40% discount. Well, as that label is printed in the Throw No More app, that product is in the app. So you as a local consumer can see what's available nearby. So you can go and purchase those good offers. And then of course- Is that available in the US right now? No, that's why I'm here. We, oh, hit, wow. we just came through to a trade conference to understand and meet retailers. So I realize it's a double big challenge because now not only do I need to persuade supermarkets to start discounting, then I need to convince them to do business with us. But anyway, yeah, yeah. hopefully <laughs> we can try and 
get more food waste to US consumers or at least the charities. So that's the idea. And there's why waste, there's wasteless, there's too good to go. There's many businesses who want to help retailers do the right thing. But in the USA, go check out the Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Food Donation Act. Familiarize yourself with it. Show your local retailer, hey, why are you not, why are you not giving all your food to charities when we've got the right legislation in place? Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was illuminating. Uh, and we hope that your visit to the United States is successful. Yeah, it's been great to be here. Thanks for having me, Ravi. It's been uh, great to, to catch up with you.